and it's bedlam. So I know that you're probably going, how are they going to do that? Here's what we've done. We've put a lot of time and effort. We're not going to have any food on campus and no hot dogs or cupcakes this time. We're not going to have um, any hayride. So that's kind of a disappointment. But we we have planned a a great environment, some immersive uh, activities for your kids. There's also going to be, it's going to be just like at Disney. Every six feet there's going to be a line on on the ground. We're going to corral everybody into the pavilion, and you'll be making your way through the line. The kids are great at this. They're like, nope, not yet, Dad, not yet. Okay, now we can move forward. And I just asked three of my favorite people, my daughter and my uh, grandkids, uh, to tell us some of the details to you moms and dads. So, Hey, parents. We are so excited for the Trunk or Treat, which is next Sunday. This event is for young kids, pre-K through elementary. They can dress up, get candy, and the whole thing will be decorated for them. We have some immersive experiences planned that the kids can actually walk through, kind of like tunnels. And there's also family photo booths, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. To keep this event socially distant, you'll need to get a parking ticket. It's totally free, so just head on over to the website and register and pick a time slot that works for you. Also, the volunteers handing out candy will have masks and gloves to keep your kids safe. Cars will be totally spaced out, and families will get to walk through together in a way that allows for social distancing. Trunk or Treat is next Sunday afternoon, so get your parking ticket before they're gone, and we hope to see you there. Bye! Bye! (laughs) So, there's 84 parking places available um, for guests to come. That means we can probably handle 300 to 350 people at each one of our sessions. That should get us 600, 700 people in. That's not as big as sometimes when it's 800 to 1,000, uh, but we feel like this is the number that we can do safely. We know we can do this safely. Um, so you're going to need – you can pile as many in your car as you want. We have 84 parking places. You'll park out back or you'll park over in front of the children's building. Normally, truck or treats out back. You'll be parking out there. All the trunks are going to be out front. There's only 30 cars. They'll all be decorated. And then we have, I think, four or five immersive tents and a photo booth. And your kids are going to have a great time. You're not going to want to miss this event. If you're thinking, if you're a little squeamish, like, I don't know if it's going to be safe. I don't know if they're going to be distant. Um, get a ticket. Come in. Check it out. If you feel like it's, it's hinky at all, you, you can just leave. We'll get, I'll, I'll throw you a bag of candy or something. Um, but you're not going to feel that way. You're going to feel like, all right. This has been a great event for my kids. We don't want your kids to miss out or your neighbors to miss out. So I hope that you will, uh, I hope that you will sign up because they're going to fill up. We turn people away from Trunk or Treat every year. Uh, this year we're just going to be doing it kind of online. So I'm so sorry, we're full. Try again next year. Um, so don't miss out on that. Sign up um, on the website. You can click on and get yourself one of those Eventbrite tickets or at least a code, and that will put you on there. All right, Pastor Rich is going to come speak for me. And, Rich, I just want to thank you uh, for doing that. He's on his yeah, way out here. In the last service, I, we, we pulled a fast one on him. This wasn't my idea. I was just, I was just part of the fall guy. You know? No, it was all fine, but I was really quick. I was about to yell at the tech people because I'm like, I thought you so got Rich, the wrong video. Rich, Rich thought he was introducing the scripture uh, from a friend of his, Kim Richardson, who was singing this morning, was supposed to read the scripture because we had a fake video. Yeah, I saw the fake. I the saw fake the fake video. video. Yeah, and, 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 I'm in and, charge and, of and that. Instead of Kim Richardson uh, reading uh, the scripture because Richard seen the fake video, this is what we surprised him with. Surprise, Rich! Hi, SEC family. We are the Brashears, and we are really excited to be here today. We've been at Seminole for almost 19 years. This is Sophie, Luke, Wade, and I'm Lori. And today's scripture is going to be James 4, verse 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? That was James, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. We hope we were able to surprise you, Rich. We love you. Bye, SDC family. We love you. They did such a good job. That was a, it was a great surprise. I, I, was, I was definitely shocked because initially I'm going, wait, they're playing the wrong video. And then I looked and I'm like, but I know those people. And 
And the scripture references right. Okay, so they got me. They did good. Thank you. They're a beautiful family. They take after their mom, so it's it's awesome. They're great. Well, good morning. Glad to see everybody. Everyone doing well? All right. Welcome online as well. I'm grateful that I get to um, share with you all this morning and give Pastor Jerry a little bit of a break as he's in the transition of moving. We know how crazy that can be. So, well, let's go ahead and hop right into our study. If you do have your outline pulled out, you'll see there are a lot of, I'm kind of looking like Pastor Jerry on the outline, right? I had to, it's kind of like, you know, sucking up to my boss. So (laughs) we'll go through it quick, but at least it looks like I was doing something this week. So um, we'll be ready to go. All right, so get your outline. And let's go ahead and get in this. We're going to continue in the study of James uh, on how to improve really our relationships, even in the middle of difficult times when we're tired, when we're fatigued, when we're under long-term stress like we've been in in 2020, um, which often brings out the worst in us. We've all seen that. Maybe you've done that. We can become irritable. We can become rude. We can become demanding and even judgmental of other people. That's why James comes back a second time here to deal with this issue of judgmentalism and not judging others. So we're calling this message this morning, How to Quit Playing God in the Lives of Others. How to Quit Playing God in the Lives of Others. So our text, as we saw, I'm going to read it again for emphasis. James chapter 4, 11 and 12 says, says this, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Pretty straightforward passage. What I like about James, he just gets right to the point. Um, This is good stuff. So we're going to take these two verses and, and look at the implications for us today. So first, Really what I'd like to do is answer three important questions. So here's the questions that I want to answer as we kind of walk through this. You can kind of see that they're highlighted in your outline there. Number one, why are we so quick to judge other people? Let me think about that. Why are we so quick to judge other people? Number two, why should I not be judgmental of others? You know, why shouldn't I judge other people? And then number three, this is the most important one that I want to get to, and we'll get to this, is how can I learn to be less judgmental? I think this is good for all of us. As I was working through this message, it was very much applying to myself as well. So let's go ahead and get into the study of James chapter 4. So why are we so quick to judge other people? Well, I, I believe we see some reasons here, two reasons why we tend to be judgmental of others. The first one is guilt. You might want to write this down if you're taking notes. We want to excuse our own failures. So there's guilt. This the first one is guilt. We want to excuse our own failures. Think about this. Adam, the first man, he was the first man uh, on the earth, um, but he was also the first man to sin, right? And he did he did two things when he sinned. He excused his own sin. And then he accused Eve of making him sin. And actually, he even accused God of like, well, you gave me the woman. And so he was excusing his own sin, but then he accused Eve. And that's why he sinned. And ever since then, this is what human beings do. We make excuses for our own behavior, and then we accuse other people. We excuse and accuse. We see it all the time. It's we. We place the blame somewhere else. And that's exactly what Adam did. So we want to excuse our own failures. Now, we know that doesn't work, but this is where judgmentalism comes in. Because first, we feel guilty. Look at Romans 2, 3 in the NIV. It says this. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Now, I like using the message paraphrase to help bring to life scripture at times. And this is what the message says, the same scripture. It says, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your fingers at others that you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings. I love that. I love the way that's brought out. 
And, and think about this, especially in this political season that we're in. This isn't always the case, but so often the time we see a leader or a politician or anybody else that's condemning or judging the attitudes and behaviors of other people, a lot of time it's because they're trying to cover up and hide stuff that they don't want judged. So they kind of try to push it and blame and show it on somebody else. It's a diversion. It's really a cover-up. They're, they're trying to take the attention off of their obvious faults and failures, and then they try to place that on somebody else. But we know that doesn't work. It doesn't work for two reasons. First, God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't compare us to each other. Why? Because Jesus is the standard of perfection. I'm not. You're not. So he doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't say, well, you did better than that person. So that's, that's not how God works. Second, any time that I'm pointing my finger at you, I have three fingers pointing back at me. Don't forget that. That's why it doesn't work. So the first reason we do this is because of guilt. The second reason that we're quick to judge, if you want to write this in, this is all, it's pride. We want to feel superior to others. We often want to feel superior because it, it makes me feel better about myself if I can put someone else down or if I can point out the sin that they have that I don't have. Then I feel better about myself, sort of, I guess. You know, whenever you see, in most cases, you see a person who's always criticizing, they're always judging they're always trash-talking other people. You can be pretty sure they feel insecure about, their, about the, themselves because people who are secure in their identity don't need to talk down or bad about somebody else to make themselves feel better or to build themselves up because they already, they already feel secure about who they are. So guilt comes and causes us to judge others, and pride causes us to judge other people. I would say the worst form of pride is spiritual pride or religious pride. The Bible calls it the sin of self-righteousness. You see, Christ-like faith is going to make me more humble. It's going to make uh, me more gentle, or at least it should, where self-righteous faith makes me more arrogant, makes me more stubborn, it makes me more critical, makes me more judgmental. You probably know people like that. And chances are you've probably done that yourself to other people where that's happened. You know, in the book of, in the book of Job, um, I pointed out last time I spoke, talked a lot about Job. This is interesting. So Job in the Old Testament, he um, was going through a lot, and he had some friends who were uh, judging Job's situation incorrectly. And Job basically calls them out. When they're judging this situation, Job 19:5, he says, "You're trying to make yourselves look better than me by using my disgrace, using the problems in my life as an argument against me." He said, "You know what? That's guilt on your part. That's that's pride, and you're wanting to make yourselves look better by putting judgment on me and judging me." By the way, you know this is why people gossip, right? is why people gossip, because they think it makes them feel like they're better to gossip about you or about them or about whoever. And you know that God does condemn gossip in the Bible, and God doesn't like gossip. We shouldn't be gossipers because gossipers are prideful. They're usually insecure. And by the way, this is a side note. You might want to write this down. You don't have to, but is this. If people are coming to you and gossiping to you about other people, I can guarantee you they're gossiping to other people about you. Don't forget that. So if they're coming to it with some, some juicy whatever, they're spilling the tea. If you're an older person, you don't know what that really means. I didn't know what that means until my younger kids used that. Anyway, they're gossiping about whatever. And they're, and, and they're telling you some gossip. I can guarantee you they're gossiping about you to somebody else. So let's not enter, even entertain it. Let's not even listen to it. And that's how, that's how we stop it. shouldn't listen to any gossip. So these are the reasons, guilt and pride, that we tend to be judgmental of other, people's, uh, other people. So 
Um, here's a second question. Why should I not judge others? This seems like it could be obvious, but why should I not judge others? Well, James in chapter 4 points out three reasons in these verses, and he says this first, if you want to write this in. Judging others is unloving. Judging others is unloving. I mean, think about that. It's hard to love somebody and judge somebody at the same time, the same breath, the same thought. Judging is the opposite of Jesus' great commandment, which James calls the royal law. The great commandment is the royal law. It's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I'm busy loving my neighbor as I want to be loved, it doesn't really leave much room for judgment. You can't act loving towards somebody while you're judging them at the same time. Remember a couple of weeks ago we covered James chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. He's saying you're doing the right thing. It's always right to love your neighbor as yourself because I want to love myself, right? You know, so if, if I'm going to love you like I want to be loved, well, then it's usually going to be good because I don't want to make judgments about myself. So I'm not going to make judgments on you. But then we see in a couple chapters later in chapter four, he adds these words, James 4:11, which was is our scripture. He says, if you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. What law? The royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says you're breaking the great commandment, this commandment, every single time you judge other people. We're not loving other people. We're not loving our neighbor. Now, some people think that they have the gift of criticism. Maybe you know somebody like that. You realize that's not a gift, right? Criticism is not a gift. Even if you think it is, it's not. That's probably a gift that you should bury and, and get rid of because criticism is not a gift because it's really unloving and it's judging and it's unloving. All right, so then the second thing that James says is that judging others is God's job, not mine. Judging others is God's job, not my job. He points this out in the next verse, in verse 12. And here's what he says. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, even if you're not taking notes, even if you're watching online and you're not taking notes or you're in here and you're not taking notes, you, you could write this down if you would like. It's not, it's not going to be up on the screen, but you could write this down because this is really this whole message in a sentence. Anytime I judge other people, I'm playing God. Anytime that I judge another person, I'm playing God in their life because God, it's God's job, not my job. Anytime... I judge other people, I'm playing God. Because he says there's only one judge, and, and that's God. There's only one lawgiver. In other words, let God be God. You don't have to be God. God. God can take care of it. He says, anytime I'm judging others, I'm playing God. Paul says the same thing in Romans 14. If you want to look at this verse, Romans 14, 4, it says, Who are you to judge somebody else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So think about that. If I look at you and I judge you, God says, um, Rich, they're not your servant. They're mine. What are you doing? They're the Lord's servant. He's like, I will judge them. Leave that to me. They're not your servant. They're my servant. I'll take care of that. So we see that judging... Others is God's job, not my job. And judging others is also unloving. Here's the third thing, if you want to write this in, is judging others is unchristian. It really is. It's unchristian. If you claim to be a Christ follower, if you claim to have given your life over to Jesus, he's your Lord and Savior, and we want to be like Christ, that's what a Christian is, to be like Christ, and remember here that James is writing to Christian, he's writing to believers because he says my, to my brothers and sisters, he calls them brothers and sisters. He's saying that Christians are, are to be like Christ. But when we're judging other people, we're not being like Jesus. 
Look at this next verse. It shows it. John 3.17 says this. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. So if we want to be like Jesus, we need to stop judging the world and start trying to save the world by pointing them to Jesus. And let God be God. Let him do his job and work on them. We just need to point him to the Savior. That's our job. And that's what Jesus did. So it's unloving. It's God's job. And he says it's unchristian that we are not being Christ-like when that happens. And every time that I'm judging somebody, I'm, I'm not being like Jesus. In fact, this is interesting. Maybe you knew this or you didn't, um, but I will share this with you. So you know Lucifer, who is the devil. He has a few names, the devil, but he also has um, Satan is one of his names. You know, Satan means accuser. It means he's the accuser of believers. That's, that's what that means. He's called the accuser of believers. He's the source of all damning ac- accusations. He actually accuses us before God. Like, look what they did. Look what they did. Look what they did. And God's like, yeah, get out of here. Whatever. But that's, that's what he does. And as a follower of Jesus, we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, but this is his job. This is what he's going to do. He's going to make accusations about us. When we mess up, God's like, that's, you know, my son already took care of that. But he makes accusations. But I want you to think about this. When we start making accusations and accusing other believers, we're doing his job. Is that what we want to do? I mean, you know the term you hear people say, well, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Stop playing the devil's advocate. He doesn't need an advocate. He does a good enough job on his own. We don't need to be helping him do any of this. Let's not be the devil's advocate. I mean, really, is this what I want to to be? He's the accuser. That's not our job. And and when we end up doing that, he's basically like, thank you very much, especially if you're a Christian. Thank you very much. Go ahead and condemn and accuse that other Christian. Go ahead and condemn and accuse that other church. Thank you. Because think about it. What is the number one negative thing that non-Christians say about Christians? That we're judgmental. Well, and then hypocrites, which goes with the judgmental. That we're judgmental. So let's change that. Let's not be known as judgmental, but let's be known for the love that we have for one another. That's how we should be known. Let's, let's flip that upside down. And then I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is we condemn the whole life and the whole personality of somebody for just one small action that we've been disapproving of. And we generalize and we categorize people too quickly And we see this one thing over here that we don't like. I'm not saying like some big blatant sin or whatever like that, but just something about them that we don't like, that we are disapproving of. And then we write them off as foolish. But that doesn't work because that's not what God, that's not how God works. So now we get to the point of what I really want to deal with this morning. So we looked at, you know, why are we so quick to judge others? Why should I not judge others? Now, how can I learn to be less judgmental? And as we walk through these steps, I know you see seven. You're like, oh, my goodness, there's seven. Well, I promise we won't be here till tomorrow. We'll get through these fairly rapidly. But I, I believe if you'll take these and really think about them, they'll change the way that you live your life when it comes to um, being judgmental or not being judgmental. So how can I learn to be less judgmental, especially during a year when everyone is under stress because we all are everybody's tired everyone is at the end of their rope and when we're not feeling good and when we're tired and when things aren't going our way we tend to start being judgmental that's what we do you've probably caught yourself doing this over the last few months i mean we make judgments about whatever because we're just fed up with everything and so we're you know We judge that or judge that or don't judge that or this person's doing whatever. And so this is where we end up being. So let me give you some things from God's word to remember. And if we'll remember these things, I believe this will help us to break the habit of being so judgmental of other people. So number one, if I want to be less judgmental, you can write this one in. Remember that. Remember, I'm not the standard. It's a good one. 
This will help us a whole lot if we'll remember that, that I'm not the standard. You can go ahead and say to the person next to you, you're not the standard. And I'm not the standard either. Right? We're not the standard. But here's the thing. When I set myself up as the standard, I get judgmental. Now, my standard for me is not going to be my same standard for you, though. You know, it doesn't work equally. It's not fair. Because my standard for myself could be way down here. My standard for you could be way up here. But that's what we do. We get judgmental. So 2 Corinthians 10, 12 in the, today's English version says this. We should never dare to classify or compare ourselves like those who rate themselves so highly. How foolish they are. They make up their own standards to measure themselves by, and they judge themselves by their own standard. So here's the thing. You're not the standard of perfection. I know maybe some of you think you are, but you're not. And I'm not the standard of perfection either. And yet when we judge, we are really using ourselves as the standard. Remember, I'm not the standard. That's the first one. Number two, when you get ready to judge somebody, remember this. I don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole story. I don't know the whole story. I mean, think about it. How often you go to a store, you go wherever, and somebody is like rude or, you know, whatever in the line, or you walk by them and maybe you accidentally like bump their cart with your cart and they're rude and they fly off the handle or they do whatever. And all of a sudden, instantly we make judgments. But we don't know the whole story. We don't know what happened to them that day. We have no idea what they're going through that day. I don't know the hurts. And this is just in, even in regular life, just when, you, when we have interactions with people. I don't know the hurts. I don't know the crisis. I don't know the limitations of what's going on. I don't have all the background of what's going on in this person's life. I'm just seeing a behavior for whatever, whatever that is. You know, and here's the thing. I think we're, we're so quick to judge on how far someone has to go in life instead of looking at how far they've come. If we could change our perspective and flip that and say, yeah, they've, they've got a ways to go, but look how far they've come. That would help us to be way less judgmental if we could see that in somebody's life. Proverbs 18.13 says this in the Living Bible. It says, it's shameful and stupid to decide before knowing the facts. In other words, get the whole story. John 7.24 says, and Jesus said this, stop judging by appearance. Because when we look at the appearance, when we look at the outward behavior, we just don't know the whole story. We don't know really what's going on. So I don't know. I don't have all the facts and I'm not the standard by which the world gets judged. Okay? And neither are you. Number three, here's the third thing to remember. Remember, I never know anyone's motivation. I never really know another person's motivation and why they've done what they've done or why they do what they do. And I would say it's silly to judge another person's motivation. Why? Because you don't know what you do most of the time or why you do what you do most of the time. I don't know why I do. I mean, Paul in the Bible said, I don't know why I do what I do. Think about it. And I don't think it just applies to kids, but think when you ask your kids or, you know, why'd you do that? I don't know. I think they really mean that. They really don't know why I did. And I don't think it changes a whole lot for adults at times. I think it's like, yeah, I don't know why I did what I did. So for me to think I know your motivations is silly because half the time I don't know my own motiva my own motivation. We don't know anybody's motivation. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.11. It's another reason we shouldn't judge. It says this. No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what anyone else is really like except that person himself. All right? So I shouldn't judge because there's no way I can know your motivation and there's no way that you can know my motivation. No one really knows what somebody else is thinking. For me to say, well, they, they were thinking this. How do you know? 
especially for guys, sometimes it'll be like, you'll be sitting there, what are you thinking about? Um, really nothing? You know, there'll be plenty of times I'm sitting there thinking of nothing. I might look like I'm in serious thought, but there's nothing turning in there. I'm just kind of chilling. Just the way it is. Right? So we just don't, we don't really, no one knows what a person is like except for that person themselves. Right? The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, this, Therefore, judge no one before the appointed time. Well, what's the appointed time? Well, when Jesus comes back. It says, wait till the Lord returns, because that's when everything is going to be judged. It says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motivation of men's hearts. Okay, so God's going to expose the motivation of your heart. God's going to expose the motivation of my heart at that point. And at that time, each will receive the right praise from God. You know, we can do the right thing with the wrong motivation. So you could be doing all the right things. And I'm out here going, man, I'm a loser. Because look at the, all that that person is doing. But I don't know your motivations behind why you're doing what you're doing. Right? I mean, that's so true. Only God knows what your true motivations are behind. So we can do the right thing and be doing it for the wrong motivations. Now, I'm not saying any of you are doing that. I'm just saying we can do that. We can have the wrong motivations. And he says, at, the, at that time, you will receive the right praise from God. And that's all depending on the, the fact that God knows my motivation. God knows your motivation. No, nobody else does. So remember, we don't know all the facts. We don't know all the motives behind it. So don't judge. Number four. Here's the fourth thing to remember to help us to be less judgmental. And it's this. Remember, I have blind spots I can't see. I have blind spots I can't see. Now you do realize that we all have blind spots in our lives. And, they're, and the fact that they're called blind spots, guess what? It means you can't see them. That's why they're blind spots. You can see my blind spots, but I can't see my blind spots typically. I can see your blind spots, but you can't see your blind spots. That's why we need each other. We need to need each other to help say, hey, I can see this blind spot in your life that you don't see. And then if we don't take offense to that and we deal with it, that's a good thing. And that's how we work through that. Now, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 7, which really is kind of in the, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 through 5. And Jesus said this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, I want to stop there for a second, because you ever read, just kind of reading through scripture, and you're going, sometimes you're like, man, was Jesus really harsh? Was he just being sarcastic? What, what was going on here so many times when you read? Well, this is interesting, because this is actually Hebrew humor. It's humor by exaggeration. So Jesus, in essence, was telling a joke, because they would use this Hebrew humor in such a way as you'll remember the point. It's like, here's the punchline. You're not going to forget what he's talking about. So a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of laugh lines in here, a lot of humor and humor by exaggeration. So really, when Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about that little peep of sawdust, getting that out of your neighbor's eye when you've got this telephone pole in your own eye. And when he would have said that, the disciples would have been cracking up. They would have been rolling on the floor. Like, that was a good one, Lord. You got more of those. That was a good one. And they would have remembered what he was talking about. I mean, when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven, it was humor by exaggeration, and it was a way that they would remember the point that he was talking about. So he's, he's kind of telling a joke here. It's, it's that humor. So he's saying, you know, in other words, he's just, why are you so concerned about that little speck in their eye? Again, when you have that log, that telephone pole, just you swinging out of your own eye. He goes on to say in the text, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, that's your blind spot. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's great scripture there. Here's the thing. What's ironic is that we tend to judge in other people what we don't like about ourselves. Don't we? Isn't that true? Think about it. We tend to judge in others what we don't like in ourselves. If you're lazy and you know it, 
and you don't like that about yourself, you tend to judge other people who are lazy because you, you dislike that so much about yourself and you see it in others. If you're prideful, you tend to judge others who are prideful pretty quickly. If you're greedy, you, you tend to spot greed in other people. Now, think about this. Whenever we see, especially you'll see, maybe it's a high-profile person, if you see somebody like a high-profile person, can, it doesn't have to be, but a lot of times we see this in the media, a high-profile person who, who reacts violently to some certain thing. Like I remember a pastor years ago who his platform was all speaking out against this one particular sin. I mean, that's what he did. Every time you heard him speak, he spoke out against this one particular sin. I mean, and he would just like passionately reacting to this sin. Come to find out a few years later, it was because he was doing that himself. And so many times that happens when you see somebody reacting violently to a certain sin, and maybe because that's what they're dealing with. And they're trying to deflect. They're trying to get the, the eyes off of them, maybe out of fear of being found out. And that's kind of what happened in this guy's life. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.31. This is a powerful verse, and really, I want you to listen it says, if we judged ourselves in the right way, God would not judge us. Really think about that. Listen, if we judge ourselves in the right way, in other words, if we would have a true evaluation of ourselves, that we would do some self-evaluation, that we would examine ourselves and get truthful and honest with ourselves, that can be hard at times, and also be truthful and honest with God. It says, if we judged ourselves in the right way, God would not judge us. So think about that and what the Bible is saying. Again, if we would seriously examine our own lives, where we have blind spots, that means that you really have to ask other people to help you to see those. And most of our reaction is defensiveness. But if we'd really be open to examining ourselves and seeing our own faults and our own failures and our own weaknesses, God says, well, I wouldn't have to judge you then. Why? Because I'm already working on it. And God would know that I'm already working on that in my life. And he's going to help us work through it. There's no judgment in that because we're working on that in our own life, working on our own blind spots. Okay, let me give you a couple more so we can just keep moving along here. A couple more things to remember to be less judgmental. Number five is this. The Bible says to remember to listen first. Remember to listen first. You know, it's hard to be judgmental if we are really trying to listen compassionately and honestly, sincerely, and fairly to other people. I mean, how many times have we, in this series, we've quoted James chapter 1 so many times, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So we need to listen first before we judge. We need to, we need to, we need to listen. One time, the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were a religious group, the Pharisees were trying to... Um, Basically, judge Jesus without letting him say his part or say anything or, or say his piece, hearing his side of the story. So Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, this is Nicodemus who met with Jesus at night because he was afraid of the Pharisees, finding out that he was meeting with Jesus. So he spoke up in defense kind of of Jesus in John 7:51. He says to the Pharisees, who, you know, he's basically, when they were trying to judge it, he judged Jesus without letting him say anything. It says, according to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. So we need to listen. So let me ask you this. And me as a parent, I think about this, how many times I've blown this. How many times have you judged your child, your son or your daughter without listening to their story first, without hearing their side of the story? I know that I've been guilty of that. You know, not letting them say their piece. And I can tell you as a parent, if you do that enough times, your kids are just not going to tell you anything because you never really listen and let and, and hear them out. So especially for young people, we need to hear them out. We need to listen to their side of the story first. Even if it's messed up or whatever, we need to hear their side of the story. But how many times have we judged anybody and not listened to their side of the story? We cannot judge people before listening to them or hearing what they've done. So before we go judging someone in our family, if you have a business before judging somebody in your business, in our church, if you're in a life group, in your life group, we need to talk to them. We need to listen. We need to get their side of the story and find out why. Why? And hear them out. 
and let them explain themselves. And if we don't do that, then we are committing the sin of judgmentalism, which leads me to the sixth thing that I need to remember. Number six. It's this. Remember, I'll be judged by the standard that I use. Yeah, I don't like this one so much. I don't like, you know, working in all of this, but really this. Remember, I'm going to be judged by the standard that I use. That's a good reason, though, not to be judgmental. I'm going to be judged by the standard that I use. Jesus said this clearly in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. He says this, do not judge others or you too will be judged. For in the same way, so look at this, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. So think about how I've judged other people. I would be judged in the same way. And then with the same measure you use to judge other people, it will be measured back to you. That's pretty sobering to think about when I go back and I try to replay the tape. It's like, hmm, how did I treat that person? How did I judge that person? That that measurement's going to be brought right back to me for doing the same thing. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 14, verses 10, 12, and 13. He says, you have no right to criticize your brother or look down on him. Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. So don't criticize each other anymore. Wow, I mean, listen to that. Okay, so he says, one day there will be a judgment day, a judgment seat. Now, I want to give an explanation of this so there's no confusion. This judgment seat that he is referring to is called the Bema seat. That was the, the Greek word for that is Bema, the Bema seat. This, was, this is for believers, Okay, so how you can picture that is more like the Olympic terms when, when um, the athletes would be judged for their performance. Their performance and how are they judged? By giving, they've been given medals. So the rewards are given by how well they performed and what they did. So their service, how well they did in that, whatever, would deem a, a reward. And so it's the same way that this Bema seat for us as believers, it's a reward for our service in this life for, for him, but also our motivations are revealed. So, you know, if I help the, you know, the little old lady across the street, but my motivations were because whatever, um, I was hoping she'd give me some money or whatever, but I look good on the outside, that motivation is brought to light and there's no reward. That was my reward which was whatever. That's what, this, that's what this is talking about here. That's different than the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers. Um, so, so just so you can see. So in this case, how is God going to judge people? Two ways, truthfully and impartially, because God has the right to judge and because he has the authority and he's the lawgiver and he always judges truthfully, not based on opinion, but based on his word, based on truth. And then he judges impartially. It's, it's so different than what we experience here on the earth, where judgment can be so impartial, can be based on this or their own feelings or whatever. That's not how God is going to work. This is why God is the only one who has the right to judge us, because he is always completely true. He's always completely fair and impartial, and he knows everything. All right, so let's move to this final one. Finally, here's the seventh. This is the biggest reason of all for me not to be judgmental. If you want to write this in, remember how God has shown me grace. I need to remember how God has shown me grace. Because honestly, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't even be standing here. If you got what you deserved, you wouldn't even be taking your next breath. Remember, God has shown me, has shown you great grace and great mercy. Look at Ephesians 2.8. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. So let me ask you, have you received this salvation? Because if you haven't, you're still stuck in your guilt. You're still stuck in judgment because you're either living under grace or you're living under judgment. Remember the other one I was saying, the, the great white throne. You're under 
judgment. You've either accepted everything that Jesus did on the cross by paying for your sins, or you will have to pay the price for your sins. Somebody's got to pay for all the stuff that we've done wrong in life. You can either pay or you can accept God's grace and mercy and pass from death to life without judgment. And really it means that you you go you get off scot free. And you may think, well that doesn't seem fair. Well it's not fair. Grace grace is not fair at all. If God gave us exactly what we deserve, well we'd be in big trouble. We don't deserve heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. Heaven is perfect and we're not perfect. God has given us such grace. So when we think about that and this message, we should be extending grace all the time to other people. But if you've not accepted the grace of God, I would say you need to do it now, today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. It's by God's grace you have been saved. That's how you get your salvation. You can't earn it. None of us can. It's a gift of God. We just put our faith in what God has done through his son Jesus. There's nothing you can do. Now, if you haven't done it, it would be my honor to help you step across that line today. Because I really want you to hear, God loves you with a desperate kind of love. A love that was willing to give up his own son. You know, I saw my kids, my daughter wasn't there, my daughter's married, and she's with her husband, and, and um, they obviously weren't in that. But I look at my kids, and I think about them, sorry, not sorry, but I'm not giving up my kids for you. I, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you do that. And you think about what God did for all of us, and he was willing to say, I love them so much that I'm willing to give up my son. That's crazy. That's what this grace is all about, this undeserved, that we don't deserve it. But he did it for us anyway. Don't forget that, how awesome this grace is. Again, it would be my honor to help you step across that line if you haven't done that. You don't need to go through life under condemnation. God doesn't want you going around feeling guilty for all the stuff that you've done wrong. He wants you to step across the line, accept his grace, accept his mercy. Because remember, like I said, there's no condemnation. When you're in the family of God, when you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we need to accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I'm going to pray, as I'm closing out here, I'm going to pray two prayers. First, I want to pray a prayer for those who have never invited Christ into your life to be your Savior, to be the Lord of your life, to forgive you and start living um, under grace rather than condemnation and judgment. And then I want to pray for the rest of us who have already made that decision to ask God to help us maybe to be a little less judgmental, maybe a lot less judgmental and more gracious in other people's lives. Because I believe when we fully understand grace, we'll want to be gracious to others. When we really understand how much slack God has cut, cut us, We'll want to cut slack and, to other, and give it to other people. So if you're watching online and, and in, the, in the room here, if, um, if we just go ahead and bow our heads. And if you would take a few moments just to pray with me, we'll close out the service with this prayer. Um, but I think this is so important. So first, as, we, as we're praying here, I just want to say, Father, thank you for the opportunity to even speak this morning to... Um, it's a privilege. I count it as a privilege. And God, I know the importance uh, behind your word. I know the importance of you giving up your son for the world. That's not anything to take lightly. So I just want to say, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know I've done a lot of wrong things in my life, things that I'm ashamed of. Uh, I'm just so sorry things that I deserve to be judged for. And just say you admit it. Just say you admit it. You admit that you've sinned. And I want to turn away from those sins. And I know I can't pay for them, but thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sins on the cross. I don't understand it all, but I understand that you have a, a free gift of your grace and your mercy. And that's the only way that I can be saved and go to heaven and be delivered from the judgment. 
So today I'm choosing, Father, to put my faith in your promise to forgive me, to change me, to cleanse me, to make me a new person, to make me a whole person. I don't have to live under guilt anymore. I know I could never earn this or work for it. And so, Jesus, I'm saying yes to your grace, yes to your mercy, and I want to move from judgment into life today. So I I humbly ask this in your name, Jesus. And now all of us can pray this. Just pray, God, when I start to judge other people, help me to remember that judging others is unloving. Help me to remember it's your job, not my job. Help me to remember these seven things that I might be more like you. Help me to remember that I'm not the standard you are. Help me to remember that I don't know the whole story. I never know all the facts. Help me to be just a little bit more humble. And help me to remember that I don't know people's motivations. And when I start to judge their motivation, help me to remember that I don't even know my own motivation half the time. Help me to remember that I have blind spots that I can't see. And instead of focusing and getting the speck out of somebody else's eye, Help me to focus on getting the telephone pole out of my own eye so that I can see more clearly and then really be able to help others. Lord, thank you for the promise that if we judge ourselves in the right way that you won't have to judge us. So help me to make self-evaluation and personal examination and personal judgment of my own sins a regular habit in my life. Give me the courage to ask other people what they see in me so that you don't have to judge me. Help me to remember before I judge somebody else to listen first instead of judging. And Lord, I have to admit that it scares me that I will be judged by the same standard that I use. So help me to be more loving and more gracious and more merciful and more forgiving. Forgive me for all the time I've done the devil's work in bad-mouthing another Christian or another church. And Lord, may we change this viewpoint that Christians are judgmental and flip that on its head. And may we be known truly by the love that we have for one another. May that start in our own personal lives and may that start in the life of Seminole Church where people say definitely that is a place where they love God and love each other. And Lord, most of all, help me to remember how much grace you've shown me. And when I remember that, that I would be gracious to other people. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I humbly ask you to help me to learn to be less judgmental. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.